transmitted live across the Atlantic 3,000 miles and five hours backwards in time. We are now getting your sound clearly and we are looking forward with great anticipation to seeing your program. Welcome to another edition of Match Report. I'm Jack. I'm here with Manny. Manny, how you doing? I'm feeling good, bro. Feeling good, man. Just got off the back of our, our London show, man. Last night was crazy. Yeah, how'd the, how'd the live show go for uh, Pass the Meerkat? Yeah, man, it's good. So we did it at O2, Shepherd's Bush. A uh, thousand capacity, filled it out. Uh, we had some sick artists that were performing from London. One Asen, uh, Notes. We had a choir. We had like dance routines, was playing games, was interactive, like we had some like stand up comedy, like it was it was a proper sick night, man. So yeah, we're looking yeah. forward to the next one. Sounds like a lot of fun. I wish I could be out there. Uh it wasn't too eventful a weekend for me. I had one uh holiday party, but this week okay. should be eventful. I think today my story uh is going up in GQ on Kate Abdo, who hosts oh, the sick. Champions League coverage for CBS here in the States, although uh, the story is partly about how big it's gotten over on your side of the pond as well, just through yeah. the social channels. Uh, Michael Richards doing his thing. Um, and with that in mind, I also have a, I'm doing a separate, I had so much material from going down to Miami to talk to the whole crew of the CBS show that uh, the rest of it, I'm going to put in a, a feature on the football weekend website uh, to go Wednesday. So you can find out how Michael Richards and Jamie Carragher and Thierry Henry actually got involved in that show. And it's, there's some funny stories. Yo, that's class, man. How, yeah. how did you get like, how did you get into that? How did you get it set up? I was just chatting to the folks at CBS about how much I liked the show. And I, I did an article a little while ago, maybe a month ago about, you know, how NBC and CBS, how their coverage of, of the European game has helped so much, I think, to make it legitimate on this side uh, mm -hmm. of the Atlantic. And I was just chatting to them and they, you know, they think that Kate deserved to, uh, you know, get a little more attention about her role. And I was happy to do it. And then I just was chatting to them and they all had stories to tell. So yeah. I'm hoping uh, it's, uh, you know, it delights the readers as well. <laughs> no, for sure. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. But first we should get to this weekend's matches, although I wanted to just stop before, because we're not going to cover, uh, you know, the Everton-Chelsea match in too much detail. Uh -huh. The match report curse or blessing strikes again. <laughs> Dwight McNeil, we have to stop, having slagged him off uh, <laughs> a couple weeks ago. He was actually unbelievable this weekend, and he has been pretty Mate, good a couple matches in a row. He was like, I don't understand, he's like a Scouser Robin now. Like, he's just become this electrifying winger, goal-scoring threat, like, putting dangerous crosses in. Dribbling, taking on his man, like yeah, he looks like a different player, man. Yeah, we should give people their their flowers uh, after we we give it to him. And you know, not only does he has he reintroduced that you know quality left foot that I think he's always had, but he looks fitter too. I mean, he was running all over Chelsea, which, in fairness, is not the most difficult thing to do these <laughs> days. But he was having a field day out there, um, and he had a nice strike for the goal as well. So yeah. you know, respect where it's due. Exactly. Hats off to him, man. Yeah, for sure. But with that, we'll get into the matches. And I guess we could, you know, dial it back to the beginning of the weekend, the early kickoff mm -hmm. on Saturday, uh, yeah. where Crystal Palace and Liverpool went at it. 
And the thing that jumped out at me from this game from very early on was my fear slash as a rival delight that Wataro Endo, who ended up being the one of the big uh, signings for Liverpool in deeper midfield when other things didn't work out, I'm just not convinced this man is at the level. I, I think he was getting caught on the ball. You cannot have three touches in a Premier League midfield. Yeah. It's just not going to happen. And then his passing was kind of limited, too. I, I thought he was going backwards a lot, you know, sideways at best, not progressing the ball. Did he jump out to you, uh, especially in that first half where Palace were putting the pressure on him? Yeah, and I think he was a bit of an underwhelming signing, um, you'd probably say, at least for most of most fans in the Premier League probably didn't know much about him. Um, he could have been a masterstroke signing that, you know, Klopp and, and his recruitment team had found. But I do think, like you said, it's, it's getting, getting up to that pace in the Premiership is difficult, especially at the base of a midfield where there's so much transitions, you're putting on so much pressure. If you don't get grips to grips with it straight away, then you might struggle. I don't want to write him off. I'm, I'm always hesitant on writing off new signings, especially from other leagues that go into the Prem, that it may take him a little bit of time to, to find his feet. But, I mean, from what I've seen previously, you know, at his club in, in Stuttgart, I think he was playing, um, he's, he's got ability. He does read the game well. But you have to, everything is that split second a lot quicker in the Prem, um, even a few seconds quicker in the Prem. So I, I think it will take time. And for the rest of the league, while he struggles to find his feet, you know, you can get at, get at Liverpool. Um, that's something we've been saying all season. Although they've got great, great players going forward, you always look like you can score a couple of goals against them. Yeah, it just shows you the level jump up, the, the, the jump up in level you have to do, even from the Bundesliga, which I think. You know, many of us think of as maybe the second fastest league in terms of the pace of play. Um, but, yeah. you know, he was the top ball winner in the Bundesliga last season, but he doesn't look like that in the Premier League. So a lot of, I think a lot of their season will depend on whether he can get up to speed. You know, he maybe Ryan Gravenberg. I don't know if, if Gravenberg wants to play that deep, uh, but they got to find a solution in there. I, I thought that they were pretty poor in the first half, and I thought... Crystal Palace very much deserved to take the lead. They were pressing high. They looked uh, athletic. Um, and, you know, it all went wrong later on, but I wanted to save a little praise for Jordan Ayew, who I think has been a very solid Premier League player for, you know, more than half a decade now. Uh, yeah. Just doing the things that you need to do playing for a side like Crystal Palace, somebody who's in mid-table trying to stay comfortable in the league, hold the ball up, good skill in yeah. tight areas, be a nuisance to defenders. I mean, I, he must be so annoying to play against. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think he combined well, and, and I think they went forward fairly well and got the first goal. Yeah, I, I think they were definitely the team that was on top in the first half. Um, the, on the front foot with the press, um, they created, you know, their better openings and, and the chances. Um, and, and AU, yeah, he, he's established himself as, as a top, Maybe not top, but, you know, a, a very good um, top-level player. Uh, he could probably play for most teams from, you know, 10th all the way down, probably. Um, he gives you he gives you work rate. Um, he, you know, gets you up the pitch. He knows how to win fouls to relieve pressure for the rest of the team. His goal scoring is not great. You know, he might only get, you know, four or five goals in a season from him. But he's almost 
you know he, he brings that balance as well uh, for for sides that are going to be always challenging and and trying to just stay stay afloat. Really, um, I don't think he's gonna take Palace anywhere into like Europe, but he's the kind of player that you need if you do end up in a relegation scrap or you know you have a few tough away games and, and you need to get get a point. Yeah, and then he was sort of involved in a dispute with Jean-Philippe Mateta after Mateta won the penalty. I always find it interesting to see players fighting over these responsibilities. I feel like they must have sorted it out on the training ground. And the impression I kind of get is that IU is the actual penalty taker, but Mateta wanted this one. But do you ever wonder how these things play out and how it gets to that point where you're in the middle of a match? Yeah, I think... Players do know they, there's designated penalty takers. Um, you know, there's normally a hierarchy of like first choice, second choice, their choice, that kind of thing. Um, sometimes it's actually a little bit different when it comes to penalty shootouts. Um, it will be a different uh, group of players. But when you see that squabble on the pitch, you, you know something's gone wrong there. Um, you even see it when they look to the bench or even the managers like, why is this player taking it? But football is, it's an emotional sport. And depending on how you're feeling, depending on, you know, your confidence on the day, it may be right for someone else to take it. You, you know, it, you've seen it work either way, where the person is fighting for the ball, but it's not normally the penalty taker. He gives it to the normal guy and he misses. Like, Bruno missed the penalty against Chelsea. So it, it goes either way, but it is comical to watch sometimes. And then, of course, Liverpool get bailed out. I, this is maybe a conspiracy theory as an Arsenal fan, as, a, as an enemy, but I feel like they get lucky with this stuff. They're not playing very well. The other team, you know, in this case, Jordan Ayew, contrives to get himself sent off with a totally boneheaded second yellow card. Suddenly, Liverpool on the front are on the front foot, and they immediately punish them, immediately turn the game around. I mean, you're a United fan, so I'm sure you have your animosities <laughs> on this. I mean, do you? I feel like these Jurgen Klopp teams, as good as they are, they always get a healthy dose of luck at, at a you know useful time to them. Yeah, but I'm also a big believer of like you create your own luck, and they've got a history of doing that. Unfortunately, Liverpool um, sometimes, yeah, it's a lot more fortunate than than hard work that's got them just over the line, um, but. Yeah, they're top of the table at the moment, but I just feel the way that they're playing and the way they are getting the wins and, and getting points, it's not a sustainable way to be champions and, and league, league leaders, to be honest. Um, so yeah, naively, I'm still not that worried that they're going to win the title. I think Liverpool winning the title would be the worst thing for me, um, closely followed by City um, and then obviously you guys. But yeah, I, I just don't see it. I don't see them winning the league. Yeah, I mean, I do have to say, after Allison, the, the goalkeeper, had a fairly poor game against Man City, I thought he was great here, and he made two massive saves. I think yeah. he's one of the biggest pluses in their column, uh, just having somebody who's so good in one-on-ones that, you know, another player, the opposition player breaks through. And you're, I feel like, as a Liverpool fan, you're fairly confident that it's not going to be a goal. Yeah. He's so good at making himself big somehow closing off every route that uh, the opposition can have. It, there was the Jeff- the save from Jefferson Lerma, where he should have scored in the first half. He really should have put it in the corner. Uh, but then there was uh, another save from jo- uh, Joachim Anderson at the death, too. I mean, Allison, I have said it for a while, it must be the best keeper in the world. Yeah, yeah. 
begrudgingly, I might have to Yeah, I'm gonna have to admit that. Um, David De Gea. He, he definitely is he's a better shot stopper than than Edison. Yeah. Um, I think he's more composed. He's just as good with his feet. Um, and I just he's got that that stature and that aura about him that it just makes it very difficult to to beat. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll probably argue argue that yeah he's probably right up there. Well, they got that, but they need a defensive midfielder. Uh, they need a defensive midfielder, and but... <laughs> they need to sort out you know Van Dijk's partnership in uh, centre back because they're always going to leak goals. Yeah. Well, as far as uh, sorting things out goes, we are forced to go to the 10 a.m. or for you 3 p.m. Uh, kickoff. Mm-hmm. One of which was Manchester United hosting Bournemouth at Old Trafford. Yep. In your mind, at least in my mind, that sounds like an easy W. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> it's not how it turned out. You think, right? <laughs> but before we even get to that, uh, you know, Man United won. the man- They took on the Manager of the Month, Player of the Month, and Goal of the Month mm-hmm. uh, for, I guess, the month of November. Yeah. Um, is that the first of many trebles for you this season? Nope, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> but what I did like from Ten Hag coming out and saying he would trade that for wins, you know, he would trade that for, for three points. Um, and that's the right mentality to have, for sure. Uh, I kind of feel like Maguire, yeah, he's done well, but it's almost a bit of a sympathy. It's like you were so bad and now you're paying, playing at, you know, a decent level. I don't think you're playing amazingly. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we've kept clean sheets during that month. We had a you know, good run of games as well. Um, Garnacho obviously goal of the month was potentially going to be goal of the season. Uh, Should so, be, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, I think I think that was that was kind of like a given. Um, but yeah, it was nice, but didn't last very long. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> not only I, I thought I was amazed at how poor United were going forward. I just did not find them threatening at all. And then in this league, if you go to sleep on three separate crosses. In the end, there could have been another goal that was ruled out. Um, that is is almost more alarming to me than, oh, they're not passing the ball very well, getting forward particularly well or fluidly. If you don't defend on a set piece or on a cross, you know, from wide out, I just, you can't have all these things at once. Yeah, and I think that's a problem with United, why right? it's so difficult to try and find a fix is there's so many different issues. Conceding set pieces, crosses, a lot of the time that's, that's either positioning or an attitude thing or like who wants it more in the air. It's just really, everything's just so lackluster. Um, but the Bournemouth game, I just feel it's, it's another reminder that United as a club is not where it should be and the manager is also not performing. That doesn't mean the manager needs to go. He's probably the last you know, piece in the puzzle for us to maybe figure out, is Ten Hag the one for us for the next four or five years? But the way we're playing, it's, it just, one week it's, it looks great. It looks like you know, we're taking a step forward. The following week is three steps back. And I don't know, McTominay is, is our new version of Fellaini. Having Fellaini in our midfield you know, a few years ago, he did nothing for our build-up play. He did nothing for us dictating games and, and having composure and having sustained attacks. But he was always that guy that would you know, dig us out of a goal, especially at Anfield. He got you know, the winner. 
you know, he would get those crucial goals that you think he has to kind of be in the team. And it's like that with McTominay. We're not going to progress as a side with midfielders like him next to Amrabat or next to whoever when Casemiro's back. But he's the only one that's getting us the goals. He's our leading goal scorer. That's, that says it all. Yeah. Well, at least the goalkeeper didn't make any <laughs> mistakes here. I mean, in terms of the back line, there's a ton of, you know, talk this week about uh, Raphael Varane's absence, essentially. I mean, I think I saw Johnny Evans out there at the end yeah. uh, alongside Harry Maguire. Not, I think Luke Shaw is a, is a decent player, decent defender, but I'm not convinced by Diogo Dallo either on the other mm-hmm. flank. Mm-hmm. Um, why can't Raphael Varane get in here? And, and is this a terminal issue? With the, is, there, is there resuscitating this back line? I think I think it must be internal because, again, Maguire's made a resurgence in his form. I don't think his form is good enough to drop a player of Varane's uh, calibre. Um, but even if you do do that, put him on the other side. Like Varane's experienced and technically good enough to play left-sided, you know, centre-back. If you're going to play Johnny Evans there, you can definitely play Varane there. Um, the experiment of Luke Shaw playing there because... You know, you want the angles and the left side and blah, 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 and all of this. What's that getting us? At the end of the day, we're conceding goals. It's not helping us going forward and we're leaking goals. So let's get an experienced defender who's been there and who's done it and has the attributes that will actually benefit us. You know, we don't really have that many centre-backs that can, can run the other way and run into channels and sniff out that danger and, and is a great leader. Maguire, as good as he is aerially, I don't feel like he's a great leader and a marshal of, of the defence. Um, you definitely don't have that Luke Shaw or, or um, Lindelof. So, yeah, just, just a lot of gaps everywhere. And Bruno Fernandes, the, the, I think his fifth yellow, he'll be suspended for the Liverpool match? Yeah. To be honest with you, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to seeing what we do without him because a lot of these games against the top six, you know, Fernandez just, I think he tries a bit too hard. He goes for the hero balls too much. You need a little bit more composure, a little bit more level-headedness when you're playing these teams, especially away. You know, it may require us to just play three in midfield, maybe put McTominay further forward in that number 10 role and just let, have him crashing into the box and have, you know, Maynou and Amrabat as our holding, holding midfielders. That may actually give us a bit more stability. Um, but yeah, I, I'm actually looking forward to seeing, seeing how that pans out. Yeah, it'd be cool to see them in that double. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, it'd be be cool to see them in that double pivot action. Mm. I think they have been out of balance, and then maybe that just frees McTominay up to do his thing a little farther up. Um, You know, speaking from the Dwight McNeil school, I guess I got to give my some flowers to Bournemouth as well, and the manager Andoni Iraola, who for a month or more, I've been saying they're going straight down to the championship, but they're making me look silly. I got some egg on my face. I think they're up to 13th or something now. Um, I don't really believe that's going to last. I think they'll get dragged down into the wars of, you know, 17th, 18th place, but they're playing decent stuff. Dominic Solanke was running all over Manchester United. Yeah. He was having a field day and and I like their wingers. And I think what I like about his side is they're brave. And you're going to need bravery in the Premier League if you're going to stay up. You know, if you're resigned to sitting back and trying to grind out results, you'll just get picked off because sides are technically, technically better. Um, the quality is there. So you will eventually just, if you don't, if you're not, 
you know, if, if you're afraid of coming out of your box and, and going in the transitions, and he said it, he knew that United would open up gaps. And as long as we punished them and took our chances in transitions, you know, they were going to get a result. And like you said earlier, it could have been three or four goals more than, than what it really, originally was. I mean, I turned the match off on like 80 minutes. I, you know, in the U.S., we're privileged that, you, you know, they show all of the matches on the streaming mm-hmm. service on Peacock. So I'm like, this game's over. You know, Man United at home, and it was 80th minute. Apparently, they could have conceded again, but it was ruled out for offside or something. But yeah, uh, right, that is yeah. not a good state of affairs. No, no, it's not good. It's not good. Uh, and again, I feel like with Ten Hag, what I would have liked to have seen, and what I think most United fans would have liked, is if he'd come in and stamped his authority in terms of his playing style. Like, you were signed under what you'd done at Ajax come in, implement that style. Yes, it didn't work straight away uh, with the loss at Brentford and Brighton. And then he immediately went to a more pragmatic approach and, you know, made us a lot tighter at the back. I mean, you played on the counter-attack and utilised, you know, the two players that have great output for us, which is Rashford and, and, and Bruno. And it got us results, got us trophies. But then I wanted him to then now, OK, cool, we've settled. Let me now start implementing my style a bit more. If the players can't fit that, they need to go. When Pep came into City, he stamped his authority straight away. Joe Hart, England number one, was kicked out straight away. You know, he went through six or seven different defenders until he settled on the defenders that could play the right way, the midfield that he wanted. And I think, like, Ten Hag kind of needs to do that. Just even if it means playing McTominay as, as a six and showing that he can't do it, then do it. And just let's... Let's go on into being in the real Ten Hag side and not this halfway house that we're trying to do to get results sometimes. It works against some teams. And then when it really matters, we just look like a shambles. Yeah. Yeah, well, we can move from your struggles to mine. Uh, (laughs) The Arsenal visited Villa Park, which I always thought would be a difficult game even before Villa hit this rich vein of form that they're in. Although... We might get to how I thought they looked dead on their feet at times in the second half here. But, um, you know, we went we went up there and especially in the first 30 minutes, Arsenal were not looking good. I would say, you know, in, in possession, Martin Odegaard was the only one who looked even vaguely assured. Um, I think both the wide men, uh, Bakayo Saka and Gabriel Martinelli, the whole match was pretty poor. Um, Declan Rice looked off of it a little bit. Uh, he was giving the ball away. Uh, and it, it's just the, the biggest concern to me is the inability to keep the ball. And then we, we created some chances actually. And we, we had two taken, you know, we had two, two goals in the back of the net that were ruled out, which we can get to, but you know, I just, I didn't go with extreme confidence into this game. I saw Alexander Zinchenko, who is great in possession, but he's out there uh, in a matchup on the wing against these flying Villa forwards. Who and then they got in behind. They got in behind him pretty easily. I just I, I worry whether the manager Mikel Arteta is getting the balance right in an away match like this. I think at Luton uh, in midweek he went with he went bigger. With uh, you know, uh, you know, four center backs across the back line instead of Zinchenko, I thought that was smart. Even though 
Um, Kivior, who, who played out there, didn't have the best match. Mm. I just I didn't feel like we we adjusted to the threat that Villa were going to pose, and I think that they dominated the midfield for the first thirty minutes here. We we couldn't really cope. Yeah, I feel like they're getting they're getting around you guys and covering a lot more ground. Um, but they did start to look leggy. You're right in the second half. Um, but a, a part of me feels maybe. Do you think the occasion got to you guys because this game was kind of like being drummed up by the media has been like a big game for Arsenal to kind of like prove that, yeah, that they're, they're definitely title title winners or, or contenders and this is going to be a different season. And I don't know, maybe, maybe it was a pressure thing because the players that you expected to perform just weren't at the races. Yeah, it, it, we didn't really have a ton of ideas, I felt like, in the first half. Mm. Um, I don't think that, you know, I, had, I was screaming at the television in my little apartment here <laughs> that... I wanted to see um, I wanted to see Kai Havertz running in behind because they have such they play such a high line. They're doubling our wide men. It's difficult for Saka to get out of those jails, and we weren't doing a good job of going over to combine with him and Martinelli to allow them to get out of jail and run at people. So it, then it's down to Martin Odegaard to find a uh, you know that pass, and it's we need people running in behind to stretch them out to create those spaces in between the midfield and the back line for Martin Odegaard to exploit and do his yeah. combination play in there in those pockets. And Gabriel Jesus doesn't love to run in behind; he can do it; he can run into the channels. But I, to me, it was the perfect. I thought that Kai Havertz was signed for this reason, where yeah. Jesus might drop into midfield. He gets replaced in that part of the formation with Kai, Kai Havertz, who's running in behind on the, la- the shoulder of the last defender, giving them something to think about. They start dropping just a little bit. Maybe they don't drop together and you get in, or they're dropping a bit and you have space in front of them. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't see us doing that at all. We, we didn't give them the problems that they were asking for, essentially. I think Villa and Tottenham, the way that they play, they're asking for you to run in behind and give them mm-hmm. a problem. Mm-hmm. And I just, I thought the tactics were on. I, I didn't think that we lost our composure so much. Although at times, you know, Bukayo Saka did, not just when he was kicking the ball away and the, the you know, the crowd starts booing him and maybe they, they get in his head a little bit. But even before that, he smashed a couple passes out of bounds yeah. that should have been completed. Declan Rice, as I said, giving the ball away. Maybe it was the occasion. I think Villa Park has become like an Anfield or, or a, you know, uh St. James's Park, and that I think it's one of the most difficult places to go. But I just thought that we didn't get our tactics right. We didn't we didn't get our our runs right. Yeah, no, that third man run from Havertz definitely would have opened up a lot of space and and made uh, Villa maybe have to drop five ten yards a bit from the high line they normally normally play. And then uh, Jesus could have found little pockets, you know, in 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 front of the the defense and behind the midfield, but. Yeah, there wasn't that that great link um, in terms of your your midfield and your attack, and it did look a bit of just not sure where we're going to get a goal. Like, how's a goal going to come? Um, ch- yeah, the the change of change of play wasn't wasn't great as well. I think you guys could have switched the player a bit quicker and allow your wingers to isolate. Cause that's what they're great at: is isolating the defender, going one on one at them. Um, Odegaard did have a couple of chances. He was bright. Um, I think he should have stuck one of them away, um, but. Yeah, Villa Park, Villa on form. It's just a good manager, and you know it's a difficult place to go now. So it's not. There's no. There's no embarrassment really to lose, 
the way that you did. You know, it wasn't an embarrassing scoreline. It was a competitive game. Um, but, you know, I think you would definitely turn them over. I think, I think you've, have you played them at home yet? No. Yeah, I, I think, yeah. Yeah, I, I think a home game with the crowd behind you will be a bit different and they'll naturally sit off you a bit more um, away from home. So I, I, thought, I thought it was a good game as a neutral yeah. anyway. Yeah, I should say to your point about possibly the occasion, I do think that I saw William Saliba get rattled a couple times. I've never seen that before. Mm. He took, mm. you know, he's dawdling on the ball, passes it out for a corner. There was a bit of that, but it, to me, it was more, you know, Declan Rice allowing somebody to get in behind him, um, mm-hmm. or Kai Havertz had happened a few times where it, when he's, you know, he's the mo- not the most natural box to box midfielder. And, you know, John McGinn ran all over them until he ran out of legs, you know, maybe 65 minutes in. But I thought he was fantastic, not just with the goal that he scored. Um, He's showing a lot of composure in those situations, but also his athleticism. I mean, he's a powerful runner. He was people were bouncing off of him in midfield. And there's not many people that, you know, can get these big Arsenal boys bouncing off them. Yeah. I mean, where do you rank McGinn? in center, center mids in the league because he's quietly been doing a really solid job for a few years at Villa. Do you think he's, he's ready for that step up? I think he's probably in the top 10 or 12. Um, it's tough to say, you know, someone like Declan Rice and Rodri, Kevin De Bruyne, Martin Odegaard, you know, Liverpool, I guess Dominic Shabazlai. Mm-hmm. is probably in there and uh maybe McAllister. But yeah, there's I it's it's hard to think of that many, you know, James Madison at Tottenham. There are people out there in the discussion, but I think on form right now McGinn is certainly a top 10 midfielder in, in the league. Yeah. And yeah, he he has some of a little bit of everything. He's an old-fashioned midfielder. You know, he'll get mm-hmm. you a few goals, he'll do some combination play, he'll win second balls when the, you know, mm-hmm when it's coming off the striker or the center back. Um, I think he's a top player. I, I think they have a lot of good players all over the pitch. I really rate Ollie Watkins, even though he was kept pretty quiet here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I, I think they have a similar issue to, to Spurs and many others where it's not the deepest squad mm-hmm. in, this, in this festive run of fixtures where there's so many matches over the next month. I think they could start to suffer. I think they could get up for this game for sure. Sh- for sure, but even then they started to to, to falter. Yeah. And Arsenal could have won this match. I mean, it's it's a lot of coulda, woulda, shoulda. You can talk about the refereeing decisions, which I I was not that offended by yeah. the way they went here. Although it does seem like the the Villa defender was a Matty Cash handled it first in the in that yeah. in that run. I'll really think on the challenge on, on Jesus. I think that's probably a penalty. I think Liverpool got that penalty earlier in the day, or you know, <laughs> you see that penalty given in this league. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, they were a bit hard done by by that, but like Martin Odegaard missed a, a very presentable chance, blew it wide right for the second year in a row. Actually, on this ground, <laughs> we managed to win anyway last year with this, but he was missing chances. You know, Bukayo Saka did scamper in behind and put one past them, had it in the net as well, ruled out for offside. It could have been different. It, it could have been different. If, if we had gotten one of those on 65 or 70 minutes, I think we would have gone on to win the game, even though Villa yeah. were always a threat. 
Um, so, you know, I, I'm a big believer that the game is about the taking of chances. Um, yeah, for sure. It, it can always be different than it, than it turned out. But when you give away an early goal against a team that's determined to, you know, sit in with the crowd behind them at home, you're creating a problem for yourself. And, you know, Unai Emery, as much as I think his teams can be got at, um, he doesn't mess around as a tactician. Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot, a lot of those kind of games, when you're playing away against the top six, it's almost more important to quieten the crowd um, as, you know, as long as possible, and then you can grow into the game. You know, being one nil down early on, yeah, you're just you're fighting a, a losing battle. Yeah, I do have to call out though, uh, amidst my praise for Villa, Emmy Martinez, a former Arsenal man, <laughs> absolutely despicable time wasting from like the 25th minute on. You know, he had some fake hip injury on 43 minutes that was just like embarrassing. It's embarrassing <laughs> to watch. In the in stoppage time in the second half, he takes a full minute to take a free kick from his own area. For some reason, he he never seems to get cautioned by the referees. He does this every match. I mean, nobody is falling down, cradling the ball for longer than him. Isn't there supposed to be eight seconds and then you have to get rid of the ball? Yeah, I mean, that is the rule. <laughs> but a lot of keepers get away with it, to be fair. But yeah, yeah Martinez, he's just full of gimmicks. He's, he's, not, he's not a likable player, um, in, my, in my opinion, anyway. He does it with Argentina. He was, you know, that kind of behavior was doing all the time in the World Cup. But you know, you think hats off. You got the you got the penalty shootout win for your for your club, uh, for your country. You know, you you get the those important decisions for your club as well. It's all about just I guess mind games, um, maybe just to compensate or overcompensate for the fact that I don't think he's that great of a goalkeeper, um, but he does know how to get into your head and he does he does frustrate teams. And he is pretty clutch. I mean, he does come through, like, not just the penalty shootout, but uh, Randall Kolomwani is runs through on goal in, like, the 120th minute in the World Cup final. Mm. And Emmy Martinez mm. did stone him with the – stuck his <laughs> leg out and re- just rejected him to send it to penalties in the first place. But, yeah, I do – it's just – he's not a – as you say, he's not a likable man. Yeah. And he's, he's a good example. And I think the same thing happened with Messi this year, to be honest where the, the Ballon d'Or and the, the Yashin Award, which he won as the, as the goalkeeper, it doesn't seem like these awards are actually for the best player at that position. It's just like the best story that the French football writers enjoyed, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, nobody actually believes that Emmy Martinez is the best goalkeeper in the world. Yeah. <laughs> no, I agree with that one. Anyway, now that I got, I stuck the knife into Emmy Martinez, <laughs> we can move on to Luton, Luton Town against Manchester City. It's kind of a fascinating week where, uh, you know, Arsenal went to Luton in midweek, uh, City went to Villa, and they sort of switched uh, sides. They, they switched opposition. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, you know, again, uh, the home side here enjoyed a really good start. You know, I, I thought uh, City were missing a dimension without Holland, even though, you know, people love to say that he doesn't do anything in the buildup. But <laughs> I love Julian Alvarez, but they didn't have that focal point against a big Luton team that likes to get physical. I do yeah. think Bernardo Silva was fantastic again. He had some spinning pirouette touch on the 34th minute that was insane. He's an yeah. insanely talented player. And, of course, he's, he scores the equalizer later on. Good for my fantasy team. <laughs> um, 
But what did you make of, of Luton's start? I, I thought that they were great, especially in midfield. I thought Ross Barkley, it's like the second coming. He's the prodigal son. Yeah, and very similar to, to Bournemouth, their side that are playing with bravery and, and aggression. Um, and that's the only way you can, can really survive in this league if, if, you're, if you're coming up from, from the championship or you know, in, in that bottom half. They're, they're a really interesting side. I, I did not think they would adapt to the league as quickly as they have. And no one's really playing like them. Um, not many teams are focusing on such physical and imposing players. The game's a lot more tactical, so a lot more athleticism and all that kind of thing. And there's not really any standout technicians or like tricky wingers or you know, lightning pace, like forwards or anything. They're just a really well-organized, hard-working side. And they've got a bit of, you know, some technical players, like you said, in Barkley. Um, Chong has done well, you know, when he was, uh, you know, come through from the United setup. But yeah, I, they're, they're difficult to beat. And that's a great base to, to start any game and, you know, for the rest of the campaign in the league. So, yeah, I, I, was, I was impressed. I was happy. I was thinking it was actually going to end up being a draw. I thought we'd get something for the game. But, again, cream rises to the top. Quality shines through. Uh, and what I really liked seeing from City was, was Foden, that number 10 position, um, which I think is probably his most natural position and where I think he should aim to, to see out the rest of his career in. But being able to drive forward and even having all these imposing players and these six foot seven guys all around him he was able to shrug them off, drop the shoulder. Um, it was and he was always on a half turn, and that just gave him the opportunity to to be progressive with his passing and, and and his ball carrying. So it was good to see Foden in, in that game. Yeah, I think Luton are another example of what you were getting at. With you might as well go out and give somebody a game if you sit in yeah. at home. Even if you're at home against Man City, they're going to break you down. You're going to lose. It's probably going to be 4 0. Whereas if you score first, that scrambles them up a little bit. They got to adjust. Yeah. Now, they often do adjust as they did here, but at least you're giving yourself a chance instead of just laying there and waiting for the firing squad to, to take care of you. Um, I, I thought, I mean, I, Ross Barkley, I, I thought was incredible. He was good against Arsenal, too, but yeah, his, you know, they are primarily a physical side that wants to disrupt your flow, mm. which they did well against Arsenal and here. But Barkley is the one that has a bit of technical. His his level is higher. Um, his his yeah. touches in tight spaces. He, he there's nice there's no, there's a nice bend on some of his passes even along the ground that that puts the recipient in a good position to succeed. Um, I thought he was fantastic, and, and he looks fit again as well. It, it, it seems like he has yeah. something to prove, you know. Yeah, yeah, that that is it. He he does look a lot fitter, um, and he's a lot more involved in overall play as well. Um, he's not on the, on the peripherals. He's not, you know, isolated at times. Um, and and yeah, that goes down to match fitness, and maybe he looks a little bit leaner as well. That that helps with getting getting around the pitch, um, and and his technical ability. Is there to always, it's always been part of his game. It's always been one of his strengths. Um, and, you know, he can go on either foot. He's, he's very competent on his weaker foot as well. So that's, that's someone that's going to be a big part of how well they succeed this season. Um, and Ross Barkley's probably 
needs to be a big fish in a small pond to 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 succeed as well himself. I think when he's gone to other sides where he hasn't been the main star, it's kind of like overshadowed him a bit and he's kind of shrunk. But but yeah, at, at Luton, he's, he's almost a talisman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, all his good work and their good work was was for not after Bernardo Silva struck. <laughs> I mean, that was quite a strike that he put into the bottom left corner. Um, but I think before we move on from yet another city victory, I think it's worth pointing out Pep Guardiola's conduct uh, at going into halftime where he sort of attacks the, the match of the fourth official because there's a strange situation at Kenilworth Road where you have to walk all the way across the pitch to get to the dressing rooms, I guess. So for the yeah. entire time ac- walking across, he's badgering the fourth official sort of more than talking in his face, like very aggressively talking in his face. And he sort of trapped him between Pep Guardiola and the camera, the TV camera. And you know that Guardiola is very comfortable on camera. He spends a lot of his life on camera. You know that that fourth official, whose name escapes me, is not as comfortable in that situation, having the camera in his face. It It just felt like an intimidation tactic to me. It felt like intimidation. Yeah, and... I'm thinking, Pep, is it, are you really going to be resorting to those tactics so so early on in, in this campaign? Are there some cracks, you know, that you're starting to show now? Um, yeah, it, it wasn't nice to see. It wasn't nice to see at all. I mean, I think there are cracks. I think he was cracking up because I think they were 1-0 down. I think he was cracking up a bit. I think, you know, a, a loss to Luton to round out this miserable run they've been on. Yeah. I don't, he wouldn't be under pressure. He's never under pressure, but... You know, by his standards, it, it was embarrassing almost. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, his players dug, dug deep and, and got him out of it. Um, Grealish came in with a the, with the winner as well. But, yeah, they're, they're not looking... I mean, it's good for you guys, but they're not looking that well-oiled at the moment, City. But we always say this. We'll see, you know, what's looking like after Christmas period in, in January. Um, Haaland, I don't know how serious his injury is. Um, but if, if he's back, you, he'll probably come back firing anyway. But, yeah, there are definitely I mean, what, cracks. What if Mikel Arteta did that, what Pep Guardiola did? You would um, never hear the end of it from the English yeah. media. You would never hear the end of it. Is anyone even talking about this Guardiola thing today? I mean, I'm sure in pockets, but... Yeah, it's not been blown up the way it would be if it was a United or, or an Arsenal manager. No way. Um, he's immediately like... Pep and, and, and Klopp, they're the media darlings of the league. It's, it's crazy. Um, it, it, they, they've, had, they've had that kind of like leeway. Um, even anything that Arteta says out of line, he's, he's the first one to get cautioned and reprimanded by the league. Um, yeah, Klopp has said some crazy things. And, and yeah, what, what Guardiola did was, was not nice. Arteta got a yellow for celebrating a stoppage time winner in midweek and wasn't even on the <laughs> sideline against Villa. Where, meanwhile, not just those two, but Deserby saying that he hates 80% of the refs, which I respect. I think that's hilarious and probably <laughs> honest. But nothing happens with that. And that's just like going in studs up on the PGMOL. It, it does seem like it's just like whatever the vibes are on the day is what the punishment is. It's going to go, yeah, for sure. Well, now that I got off my Arsenal hobby horse, uh, we can round things out with Tottenham hosting Newcastle at White Hart Lane on Sunday in the late game. Um, and, you know, we talked about the, the heavy Villa legs. I yeah. thought Newcastle looked very 
heavy. They they were not getting around the pitch well, and that's sort of the cornerstone of their game is how much how much ground they cover and how they're going to challenge you in every physical battle. Yeah, and I, I mean both of these teams, it's it's really interesting seeing how they're playing because it could have gone it could have gone either way. Not in this game, but in terms of their form, like Tottenham could have could have lost. You know, I, I didn't know what to expect going into this game. Um, but yeah, I think Tottenham actually did did quite well. Um, so part of it is probably the legs for, for Newcastle. Um, you know, they've had a lot of injuries and they haven't had the opportunity to rotate their squad where they would have liked to, um, to keep things fresh. But Tottenham did well in stretching them as well and, and, and playing those balls into the channels. And it's not very often you see Trippier under, under pressure like that in a game, especially for such a long period. Um, he wasn't close to Son at all. He, you know, Son had a better of him for the majority of the game. And as the game got on, he just seemed a lot more nervous and he didn't want to engage as much. And one of Trippier's strength is being that aggressive fullback that doesn't, you know, give you an inch and a, and a breathing space. So, yeah, I mean, four, four ones is a big loss. Um, but hey, that's... Both these teams cancelling each other out. Both these teams dropping points next week. You know the way, especially the, how expansive Tottenham are. They could drop points easily and and, and lose. You know three one three two. Yeah, I do think that the the injuries are really piling up for Newcastle now. I think Trippier is uh, suspended for their next mm-hmm. match, but Fabian Schar went down. Sven Botman, their other starting centre back, is already out. Yeah. Although he might be on his way back relatively soon. You got Jamal Lascelles playing every match, which is just not optimal, I don't think, for them. No. You know, I've thought that they they were on the outside of the top four race, but this could be a very difficult festive period for them where they just don't have the numbers to do this. Mm. Um, and they might start conceding a lot of goals. I, I You know, Martin Dubravka, the, the keeper, because Nick Pope uh, yeah. is also injured, I remember Dubravka as like one of the league's best shot stoppers back when he was the number one for them. Yeah, mm-hmm. didn't look like it there today, and I, you gotta fear for them over this these next three or four weeks. Yeah, I, and I think a lot of his his issue he doesn't get enough game time, so he's not up to scratch and he's not match fit. He doesn't have that sharpness. Um, but yeah, I do remember him one of the best shot stoppers in the league and. You know, he was he was that lone signing that United made uh, a couple of years ago on the Ragnarok, I think. Um, but yeah, they're going to concede. He's he's not as good as Nick Pope. Um, that's just factual. But what's what Newcastle do have is they do have money. So January is an opportunity for them to recruit and bolster their squad, um, and that would be a real indication to see you know the direction the club and the board want to go. Are they going to be happy being that sixth, seventh team? that they've been previously, or are they actually going to reinvest again in January, get a couple more signings in and challenge for that top four and, you know, and, and continue their project? Yeah, I think they need a body in midfield because Tonali, not an injury, but is out. Yeah. <laughs> Sandra <laughs> Tonali is out for the foreseeable. And, yeah, they, you know, they're basically asking Bruno Gimaresh and Joe, Joe Ellington to play every match for 90 minutes at high octane levels, mm-hmm. doing their thing where they're, yes, going to foul you seven, eight, nine times a match in, in the central midfield. <laughs> but also, you know, what's that? 
and still not get a yellow card. Yeah, exactly. Never receive a yellow card. But also, you know, do some legitimate work as well. But they can't do that every single match playing three three days a week. I think they'll get knocked out of the Champions League, but um, it's still three days a week this time this time of year. I, I, it's hard to see it for them. Yeah, and then, you know, they get knocked out of the Champions League. If that happens, they're into Europa, which is Thursday nights, and that's no one likes that. Um, I, don't have the, I don't think they've got the squad to, to, to cope with it. Um, so they need to get their injuries back straight away. Um, any suspensions need to come back. Um, and definitely, I think a, a permanent signing in midfield to replace Tonali um, is needed. Just also for just a different type of player because they do have very similar midfielders and all of them being very industrial, hardworking, maybe someone with a bit more creativity. Um, that just gives them another, another way of, of opening up defences and another, another way of playing. Um, but yeah, they, even on the break, they still had chances. You know, um, Anthony Gordon was, was still a threat. Um, Isak should have got a goal. Um, but they've got Callum Wilson back, and, and that's a great addition back they've got in the squad. That, you know, he's, he's proven goal scorer, so you know, they'll start picking points and goals through him as well. Yeah, Callum Wilson was upset at what the Spurs keeper was doing after the final whistle, I guess, Vicaria. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's like, go tell it on your podcast. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, you know, Spurs, it's hard, you know, I'm reluctant to admit it, but uh, they, they do look like they put something together going forward. I think we've said before that if they can just feed Kulisevsky until uh, Madison comes back, they might be all right. Yeah. But even here, Richarlison scored two goals, uh, this, and this was his 49th game for Tottenham and he'd never scored with his feet before in the Premier League. <laughs> <laughs> he'd only scored a couple of headers. Yeah. Uh, he's now got four Premier League goals for Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, it might be this, you know, maybe this is the start of something new and, yeah. you know, he's going to change his ways. But we talk about Manchester United's outlays on signings. Tottenham Hotspur paid $60 million, uh wow. for this player and wow. it's we're getting on to a year and a half now of you know four four or five league goals. Wow, that that is actually very interesting, uh, and just shows that how certain things are just highlighted more with you know with United and, and with Arsenal. Um, that's a terrible return for sixty million striker, um, and he's done well with the two goals. You know he's he's contributed massively for his team to get that win, but I, I still don't see him being. You know, a top ten Premier League striker. Anyway, you know uh, they're going to have to probably move him on. Um, I don't know if number nine is his best position. Is he better off from the side than coming in? You know, it, it's not clear. He doesn't have. I don't think the physicality to play well enough as a number nine. Um, he kind of sniffs chances out, but his finishing is not always consistent. Um, he's low on confidence. So I don't know. I I, I don't I don't have much much faith in in Richardson being you know, top quality striker that's going to consistently get goals for Tottenham. He hasn't shown it in 18 months, so I don't see him suddenly turning it around. Um, but no, he's done well and on his day and on his form. He's, he's a good footballer. He's, he showed that at Everton. Um, he has ability and it could just be just not the right club for him. There were all kinds of crazy stats coming out of this game. Apparently, Brennan Johnson had never been on the win, never started a match that Tottenham won before this match. And uh, yeah. as we've said before, I think he's a good player. It's just like a weird, um, 
quirk that he's, I guess they've only won when he comes on as a substitute, but he's put yeah. that right now. And I think it was partly down to Ange, you know, first of all, Richarlison doesn't get the same scrutiny as the United signing because Tottenham are the media darlings along with Liverpool mm-hmm. and Pep. Um, but I think Ange, for all of the, you know, media showering him with praise about his principles, again, something they would never do to another manager who lost a match. <laughs> Uh, he did actually change his principles a bit here where, you know, you, we've seen Giovanni Lo Celso deployed in sort of a James Madison-ish role in most of the matches since, but he yeah. did not start this game. And I think that that was an acknowledgement of, of Newcastle's physicality and, the, you know, the need for something else mm-hmm. from that Spursman field, which does, you know, Pape Sar, um, Ibusuma, they do have something about them. Uh, mm-hmm. in deeper midfield. And I think Ange decided to lean into that rather than, you know, his magical principles for once. Yeah, and I think that's a mark of, of a good manager, just knowing when you can tweak and just change change your tactics and change your principles. And, you know, there's no shame in, in doing that. If you are going to be so, you know, stubborn in your ways at times, a lot of times to your, to your own detriment. Um, and, he's, you know, we saw that in... The few the losses that they've had, where they're playing still that really high line, um, aggressive forward forward playing football, um, yeah, it will only bode well for them. Um, and if they've got other options, um, they've got a good balance in their midfield as well. Um, Hodgins is a good proven uh, you know centre mid, holding midfielder. Um, I like Skip. I think he's tidy on the ball. Uh, and then Basuma and, and Saar, the the powerful ball carrying players that. You know, will will do well in, in their side. Um, Madison is a massive loss, but yeah, it, it seems like they're kind of covering his loss by bringing in people more like like Johnson, who's got great pace and's got decent delivery, and, and allowing their fullbacks to to overlap a lot more and, and get involved in in the play. So it it looks it looks good, and it's his first season. He's not going to get it right every game. Um, so yeah, I think next year could be. Could be a, a, the year that we need to be take Tottenham a little bit more seriously, but I don't think just yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't get a read on this. Coming into the match, as you said, it was impossible to say who was going to win this game. Now, coming out of it, I'm I'm much more aware of of how stretched Newcastle are as a squad. Mm-hmm. I mean, who I I thought Newcastle are the better team in general. But now I don't know who's going to finish higher. Who do you see higher up the table at the at the end of things? I'm going to go with Newcastle, just because of their their home form, um, their fan base, their support, the fact that they have the money to to strengthen in in January, um, which I think they probably will. Um, and they are generally harder to beat. You know, the the Tottenham game was was a poor result. Um, but all it takes is a couple of defenders to come back and, you know, every game is going to be a struggle for anyone that's, that's playing Newcastle. Um, and I think being more difficult to beat is, is, is a better way to start off, you know, a campaign than just be free-flowing, go and attack and let's just try and outscore the other team. Um, so I think they're more likely to grind out results, especially away from home um, with the way that they're playing, the kind of players that they have than Tottenham. So I, I'd go with, with Newcastle ahead of Tottenham. And just because Tottenham are bottle jobs. So whatever their aim is, they, they'll probably just fall short. 
It's not the worst bet to make. Well, <laughs> we'll have to see how it all shakes out. Um, you know, big week for for Manchester United Football Club coming up. Uh, you got yeah. fired in midweek, and then we'll be we'll be chatting about it next week on the match report. Liverpool Manchester United on the horizon. Yeah, depending on on the scores of that Enfield game, uh, I may just have a mask on or something. I'm not sure. <laughs> let's, let's see, because we're in a worse position than we were last season, and we got trounced. So, yeah, let's let's see. But it could be another random masterstroke where McTominay gets a late winner from a corner, and you know, Salah's off is is, is misfiring and. Trent falls asleep at the back post and, you know, Garnacho gets a, a winner or something. Who knows? But I mean, I do feel like, crazy things. yeah, I feel like it's a proper derby where the form does go out the window. It's an old saying, but I think it's absolutely true. You know, I've seen yeah. some very poor United teams do it, do it against mm. Liverpool in the last five years. Yeah, but just not at Anfield. That's the only yeah. thing. Not at Anfield. So... Let's see. Uh, as long as we don't, we don't get embarrassed, then uh, I'll have my face on camera. <laughs> <laughs> new, the new standards of Man United. <laughs> Let's not exactly. get embarrassed. <laughs> I can sympathize after the last few years at Arsenal. Well, we'll, uh, we'll have to see how it all goes, and uh, I'll catch you next week to talk about it all. All right. Nice one, man. Best of luck as well with your week. Yeah, thanks, man. And uh, congrats right. on the live show again. Pass Thank the meerkat. Nice. <laughs> All right, have a good one.